Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ringworm. Of course, that's the nothing personal word of the day for Monday, August 15th, 2022. Ringworm. I've got ringworm. Give me steroids. That's going to help. Of course, I'm talking about Fernando Tatis. Coca, I got right to it. This first story is about Fernando Tatis, but I got to get there because a lot happened. Starting with in Africa, I had the decision and the epiphany that I was not going to to forget the feelings I had when I was unplugged and I was at one with my spiritual self. Every single plane ride, hey, what's the Wi-Fi? Hey, when can I get on Wi-Fi? It's 10,000 feet. Are we at 10,000 feet yet? I'm on the Wi-Fi, I'm texting, I've got internet. Do you want one hour? Do you want the whole flight? Whole flight, of course. That's me. I gotta get every bit of news. I gotta be on top of it for me, for you. It's really for me, but it's for you. Today for you, tomorrow for me. Thank you, Jonathan Larson. So I'm flying to Seattle on Friday for a family bat mitzvah. I'm going to be there. I'm traveling for 15 hours to be on the ground for 28 hours. It's the right thing to do. I'm going to do a hora. I'm going to have some challah. I'm going to have some cocktails. And then I'm going to turn around. Get on the flight to Seattle. I've got Handmaid's Tale downloaded, a series I've never watched. I'm going to start watching it. I'm going to be unplugged for the entire nine-hour flight. (laughs) So I get itchy during the flight. I don't know anything that's going on. This is Friday, August 12th, whatever it was. I'm just trying to be at peace with what my decision was. But I get this weird sort of addictive feeling. Is there stuff happening that I'm not aware of? No, I mean, it's Friday. They do some Friday news dumps. It could be Watson, but I'll deal with that. He may get suspended or they may get the Harvey appeal done. Whatever, someone could have gotten hurt or whatever, I'm good. But then all of a sudden, the plane lands and I'm so proud of myself. I made it through. Ding, 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 Coca, Coca, ding, ding. CBS, are you there? CBS, hello. I get all of these alerts as the phone comes back to life in Seattle. And I see that Fernando Tatis Jr. has been suspended for 80 games. (laughs) So what do you think my reaction was? My reaction should have been the old David. The reaction would have been, see, that's why you can't unplug. Because you never know when something's going to happen. You have now not said a word. You're late. You're behind. You could have been live on CBS, on the network, on HQ, on the news network, on the sports network. It's the biggest story of the day. One of the biggest stories of the steroid era is Fernando Tatis Jr. testing positive for steroids and being suspended for 80 games. And you know what my reaction was? I flew back from Seattle on Sunday. 
yesterday and I didn't buy the Wi-Fi. I'm going to stick to it. You know what? Life will go on. I will react when I land. But I had a little bit of the DTs. So let's talk about ringworm. Let's talk about Tatis. And I want to give you an angle of this that people aren't hearing about. But I think it's important for you to understand his background. I've known Fernando Tatis Jr. for a very long time because Fernando Tatis Sr. was a player who I traded for in 2000. Fernando Tatis, you may remember, the father holds a major league record. He's the only person in history to hit two grand slams in one inning. Coca, my recollection is he hit two grand slams in one inning against the same pitcher, who I think was a really good pitcher, Chan Ho Park of the Texas Rangers. So we needed some offense in Montreal, and Dustin Hermanson was getting to be too expensive for his talent. Steve Klein was a reliever who was really good, and we really liked Steve Klein. But we traded Dustin Hermanson and Steve Klein to get back Fernando Tatis and Britt Reams. Britt Reams, who ended up being a good arm, but a an absolute better person off the field. Loved playing in Montreal, loved that trade. He would run with Scott Strickland every night. Tatis comes, and we look at him, and we were slightly concerned. We had done our homework. We knew he was a bat. I guess I wasn't positive that he was doing steroids. It's hard to know until you live with a player. But when we started living with him, it became clear. And I have absolutely, let me be clear, for defamation standpoint, I have no evidence. He never failed a test. There never was a test. If there were a test, he didn't fail it. It is was our belief that he was on steroids. And it was fine. I've told you where MLB executives were, no matter what they all tell you. We were aware that it was going on. We were complicit and we were happy with the results of it. Reckless indifference toward player health or toward kids doing it to try to be big leaguers. We were focused on big leaguers being able to perform and not be injured for as long as they would normally be. That was the focus. So if Tati Sr. is on steroids, as Tatis Jr. was growing up and becoming a baseball player, it would not have surprised me that Tatis Jr. would think that that was a plan. That steroids are things that can be taken and they are helpful to you and your career and your healing and your muscle mass, whatever it is that you are using steroids for. So when I saw that Tatis was suspended for 80 games, I had two immediate thoughts. The first thought was, it makes perfect sense, not just because of his family, but second, because of his contract. When I saw that he tested positive for the exact same story that D. Gordon took after he signed his long-term contract, I was also not surprised. When you've got guaranteed money in baseball, we tried as presidents to get into collective bargaining that a positive steroid test in the middle of a guaranteed deal would have the impact of making that a non-guaranteed contract. We wanted any positive steroid test to result in the guarantee language of the contract to be ruled void. The Players Association standpoint of that was, we're not going to allow it because we believe that you, David Sampson, or you, Hal Steinbrenner, or you, Steve Cohn, or any, pick your GM, A.J. Preller. 
We believe that if you have an underperforming player on a long-term guaranteed deal, that you will taint his test. You will find a way to get his pee and put a syringe of steroids in his pee, make him test positive so you cannot pay him. Brilliant. I mean, that, I mean, talk about Machiavellian. I love it. You got a player who stinks. You got five years left, four years left. The Padres with Eric Hosmer before they traded him to Boston. You try to get steroids in that pee immediately. Give me a break. But let's pretend that the ownership would say, I understand your concern. Let's do it another way. If there is a player who tests positive and that player does not appeal his suspension, acknowledges taking the steroid, whether it was mistakenly or not, why don't we have an agreement that the guarantee portion of his contract gets amended and we'll have a sliding scale based on the size of the contract. We're not going to take away life-changing money. So for an example, Tatis has $340 million on a guaranteed contract. If you take steroids and you don't appeal and you acknowledge it, you lose half your guarantee. We tried everything. Denied, denied, denied. And eventually, owners, negotiators, presidents, we gave up. One of the great wins by the Players Association is the concept of the guaranteed contract where the prohibited activities are things like skydiving, motorcycling, which of course Tatis did, might I add, but all sorts of various other activities. Can you imagine we got D. Gordon can't play basketball in our guarantee language? I won't play basketball, but I'll stick a needle in my ass. Oops, forgot to mention that one. If you've got $340 million guaranteed, and you know that there's nothing that would make that money non-guaranteed, and you are Fernando Tatis Jr., why aren't you taking steroids? What's the worst that happens when you take steroids? Let's look at the examples. Let's start with A-Rod. A-Rod signs for $250 million with the Texas Rangers, does some steroids, signs another contract, gets caught, gets suspended for a year, no Hall of Fame on ESPN, Dating J-Lo was living his life. Roger Clemens, it was my wife, it wasn't me. There's no way I would stick that in my ass. That was vitamin B12. Don't you worry. I'm not in the Hall of Fame, but boy, I got some rings and I got some money. Okay? Good one. How about another player? Robinson Cano. I got $240 million guaranteed. I tested positive for steroids. I don't know, was it once, was it twice? I was suspended for a full year, then 80 games. I faced lifetime suspension. I can't play without the steroids. I'm old enough that I can't play, period. But I still have the money. What exactly incentivizes a player who has guaranteed money not to take steroids? I want to be in the Hall of Fame. I want a pristine reputation. I want to be an example to children everywhere. I want to be an example for my teammates of greatness that doesn't need help. If Barry Bonds didn't want that, why do you think Fernando Tatis Jr. would want that? Once you get the money, you don't care about anything else. Cynical? 
No. Pragmatic? You bet your bippy. So Tatis does the steroids, then test positive. What happens then is the team does not get a call. I want to be very clear. There's misinformation here about this. The San Diego Padres did not know Fernando Tatis had tested positive for steroids when they traded for Juan Soto, period. The team does not get called upon the positive test. Trust me, I've had a lot of positive tests in my career from players, never a call. Then, if the player chooses to appeal, the appeals process is airtight. There are no leaks, there's no issues at all. An appeal is when you believe that there's been a problem with the test, there's been a problem with the chain of custody of the test, there's been a misread of the test. The first thing that happens is you do another test of that sample. If that test comes back positive again, there is still an appellate process the player can go through in complete privacy. The team still doesn't know. Then the phone rings and it is Dan Hallam, who is the deputy commissioner, calls you up on a random day when you're having a drink at a lunch in California and says, David, you're gonna to wanna to sit down. And I said, what happened? Well, you've got a positive test on your team. I suspected who it could be. He said, you're not gonna believe who it is. I said, okay, talk to me. He said, D Gordon is tested positive. I said, it's impossible. You have the wrong sample. You have the wrong person. It, it, it cannot be. I've been around him. I've lived with him. I've loved him. I've, we paid him his big contract. It cannot be. He went through exactly what happened. He went through the steroid that D took. He explained how that steroid gets into a body through a needle and then said that D had dropped his appeal and was agreeing to start serving today. That's the notice we got. I got into a car with PJ Laello, went to Dodger Stadium, addressed the team, had D Gordon address the team. Barry Bonds was quite a thrill during that period. But anyway, that's the notice. The call comes from Dan Hallam to either AJ Preller or Peter Seidler, likely AJ Preller first, who then has to call Peter Seidler in, by conference call. Peter Seidler, the owner, is then going to call Dan Hallam and likely call the commissioner, try to understand what the hell happened. Meanwhile, the player has knowledge and can start preparing. This is always the advantage the player has that the team does not have in terms of PR. The player can prepare his statement way in advance. So you sit down with the player, the players union does and the agent does, and they say, all right, what do you want to do? There's a few things you have to say. You have to apologize to the owner, the president, the GM, the fans, your teammates. You have to apologize to Major League Baseball. You then have to go one of two ways. You can say that you did not do this and you are going to investigate. You are going to serve the suspension, but you are not going to rest a day until you find out how the steroid got into your body. You can go that way. Wouldn't suggest it, but you can do it. Or you can say, hey, I took this. 
I didn't know what it was when I took it. You can try that way. Or you can say, I knew exactly what it was. I took it. I'm sorry. The last one gets you repent it. The first two get rolled eyes. Tatis went with the Robinson Cano school of denial, which is I took this, but I had diarrhea. That's what Cano said. It was stomach medicine, I thought. Fernando Tatis said he took this to treat his ringworm. It's in his statement. It can't be. He said, I should have used the resources available to me in order to ensure that no banned substances were in what I took. It turns out that I inadvertently took a medication to treat ringworm that contained clostebol. Horse hockey. Fernando Tatis Jr. grew up around the big leagues. We teach every player. You don't have to speak English. You don't have to speak Japanese. You don't have to speak Spanish. We have people who speak every language. Do not put anything in your body that we do not give you. That's it. If you do, it will be potentially tainted and you are subject to a suspension. If you don't have guaranteed money going forward and you are suspended for drugs, sorry, that'll be it for you. If you've got guaranteed money and you're suspended for drugs, hmm, you still get your money. Do you get where I'm going here? What exactly is the incentive? Think about this. I've spoken to players who don't have guaranteed money, who are on the cusp. Take D, for example. They want to get paid. Why wouldn't you take steroids on the hopes that you don't test positive, get the big contract, and then stop the steroids, Brady Anderson, and then you stink. You're back to what you were, but you signed at the top of what you're not because you got steroids. What do you have to lose? If you get caught, then you're not going to get the contract. If you don't take them, you're not going to get the contract. But if you get the contract, then you're GTG. You're good to go. So the players without guaranteed money have reason to do steroids. The players with guaranteed money have reason to do steroids. How are we going to get steroids out of baseball? With these very heavy suspensions of a year, a lifetime suspension. Yeah, that's true. If you're dumb enough to get caught three times when you've got a large guaranteed contract, then you do not deserve your money. But the players do the math. Robinson Cano got bang, banged twice. You think he's going to do steroids a third time and risk not getting the last two years or three years of his deal? Of course not. Tatis has now got one strike, suspended half a year. He can do it again. He'll only get one year. The irony is he did it when his pay was like Deshaun Watson this year. He's a young player, so his salary is not 340 divided by 14. He's not getting $20 million this year. It's totally, the word you use is backloaded. In baseball, we don't use that word. He's being paid appropriately for his age and service time. $3 million of lost salary for these 80 games. The equivalent of $6 million of earnings over that period of time. Half this year, half next year, roughly. So his guarantee goes from 340 to 337. Worth it? But what about his reputation? 
What about his teammates? Fernando Tatis could not care less what Joe Musgrove thinks, what Mike Clevenger thinks. He doesn't care what A.J. Preller thinks. The reason why players don't care what anyone else says is they've got the money, and that's all they care about. You're going to believe his line, I'm completely devastated. There's nowhere else in the world I would rather be than on the field competing with my teammates. Don't buy it. It's a PR statement meant to elicit sympathy for someone who deserves zero sympathy. There is no one who unknowingly takes Clostable. It doesn't happen. There is no one who goes into a drugstore in the Dominican Republic or in New York City and takes something and then says, oh, I had no idea. It's Tom Brady with his footballs. Oh, I can't tell if the football is flated or deflated. I just throw the damn thing. That's his paintbrush as one of the great artists of all time. For baseball players and other athletes, their body is their temple. God, I hate that expression. But the body is everything. These players know everything that goes in their body. Even when they get street meat or pizza, they are aware of what they're doing, how their body reacts to it, how quickly they can get rid of that food before they have to play or pitch. They know it all. So where do the Padres go from here? They have no choice. Tatis is on their team going forward. Will they sign Juan Soto to a long-term deal? It's going to be hard to allocate that much money. I guess where I, what I tell you is that A.J. Preller telling you how disappointed he is, telling you how immature he is, and all the players saying how disappointed they are. The Padres are exactly what we told you they would be. A collection of players put together by a general manager trying to figure out a way to get a postseason and a World Series to a city and to an owner that has never experienced one. And when you've got money to play with, it allows you to make mistakes. The Padres are not the Dodgers. They don't have the ability to overcome these types of mistakes. But hey, Tatis is going to come back and be the greatest player ever. I guess we'll find out, won't we? But not until next year. Ringworm. Good luck, Fernando. When we come back, we're going to review a movie, a Ron Howard-directed movie that gave me anxiety. I watched the documentary about this movie, but this was not a documentary. And then we're going to talk a little bit. We have to talk about Lamar Jackson because he's the quarterback for the Ravens. And the clock is ticking for Baltimore to do what's right. Come on back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. 
Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Hope you had a great weekend. I know I did. We are here because you're here. You rate, you review, you follow, you tell your friends about Nothing Personal. Thank you. Keep doing it. On YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. I think to get more traction on YouTube, Coco, we're going to have to go live more, which is something that we should think about doing. I'm willing to do it. I could have gone live from the airport, SeaTech Airport. Okay, I watch a movie every day, especially when you've got long plane rides. You get the opportunity to watch a lot of stuff. I love it. A movie came out on... I don't know what it came out on, Coca. I want to say Amazon, but it could have been Netflix. I've got them all. Don't know. Sorry. It's called 13 Lives. One of the listeners told me to watch it. My initial reaction, this is a funny little thing that happened in my head. When I was told to watch 13 Lives about the life of the Thai soccer team, the kids who got stuck in a cave and had this worldwide rescue, people flown in from everywhere. They were in the cave for like over two weeks and they all made it out alive. Unbelievable documentary called The Rescue, which I reviewed on Nothing Personal. Someone said, watch 13 Lives. And I said, no, I'm not interested. I watched the documentary. I don't need to watch it. And that was my position. So I turn on a TV and I have a ton of movies that I want to watch and a ton of things I can review, a ton of shows. But somehow it got to my attention on the thumbnail of 13 Lives that it was directed by Ron Howard. Ron Howard, who directed Apollo 13 and a bunch of other movies that I'm just forgetting off the top of my head, but has... One of the great filmographies maybe of all time. I had to watch it. Do you have a director where if that person directs a movie like Quentin Tarantino, whatever he directs, I'm going to see. I don't care if it gets zero stars on Rotten Tomato or a zero rating, whatever. I'm going to watch a Quentin Tarantino movie. I'm going to watch anything written by Lawrence Kasdan or directed by Peter Weir or anything like that. I'm just going to do it. So when I saw Ron Howard directed it, I said, okay, I turn it on. Two hours and 10 minutes later, I felt nothing. I understand the difficulty that Ron Howard making this film. It is anxiety producing seeing them dive through the caves trying to rescue the kids. It is horrific knowing that two divers died, one of them during the rescue, one of them months later with the disease they contracted from the rescue. You want to feel for these kids who are stuck there. You've got Colin Farrell and Viggo Mortensen in the movie as the two main non-Thai rescuers. Everything's in line for something great, and I felt nothing. I was right out of a chorus line. I felt nothing. If you want to feel and you want to learn about a story, watch The Rescue. You don't need to watch 13 Lives, and you certainly don't need to watch both. I'm sorry, Ron, but I promise I'll watch your next movie without a doubt. All right, Coca, play me some music. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. I felt the need not to explain what this was, but then I get so many new listeners who contact me on Twitter, David P. Samson. There's new listeners every day. So if you're new, thank you. Welcome. We do a show here every day for you. This is a segment where you get in my Twitter at David P. Sampson, hit follow, and ask a question. And if it's fun, I'll put it in the show. If it's moderately fun, I'll answer it on DM because I do answer my DMs, not all of them, too many. And if it's boring, it won't be on the show and I likely won't answer. 
but this was a good one. How would you deal with the Lamar Jackson extension? Question mark. Short, sweet, to the point, and hello, David. Now, that's my kind of question that's going to make the show. Lamar Jackson is the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson came out this weekend and said, listen, he's pulling what superstar players pull, and it always makes me laugh. I will not negotiate after the first day of the season. If you want to extend me and make me not a free agent, give me your best offer now. But after that, all's quiet. I'm betting on myself. Every player who says that wants there to be a very high offer made before the season starts. The Yankees had to do it with Aaron Judge. They had to give their final and last offer because Aaron Judge said once the season starts, sorry. Aaron Judge is a baseball player, was absolutely at risk of being injured, absolutely at risk of sacrificing some amount of guaranteed money. Lack of performance, always a risk. But when Aaron Judge is healthy, he would say to himself, ah, I'm not too worried about my performance. I'm not going to take the Yankees' last offer. Let's see what happens. You obviously know what's going on with Aaron Judge and what's going to happen with his contract. And if you don't, then you don't. But he made a good decision. There's many, many players who don't make good decisions. Lamar Jackson is in a situation where he cannot lose. Lamar Jackson is a better quarterback than Kyler Murray. Lamar Jackson knows that he's going to get more guaranteed money than Kyler Murray. He also knows if he's smart, he doesn't have an agent, so I'm not sure how smart he is because if you're looking for a dumb lawyer, look for a lawyer who represents himself. Look for a client who represents himself. And I'm not exactly in favor of agents, as you know. And when you're Lamar Jackson, I'm not sure you need an agent. You need a lawyer. You need somebody to go through the contract, to go through the guaranteed language. But you can certainly have Baltimore fax you offers without an agent interpreting them. He can put on his reading glasses and read 230 over 5 with 180 guaranteed. Deshaun Watson got 230 over 5 with 230 guaranteed. Kyler Murray got 230 and a half over 5, by the way, but only 160 of it guaranteed. Lamar Jackson is going to get more than 230 and a half, but less than 230 of it guaranteed, but more than 160. That's where he slots. The Ravens know it. Lamar Jackson knows it. So the only thing stopping a deal before the NFL season opens, when does it open, Coca? September Labor Day, right? September 7th, is that week one? Fifth, second, whenever it is, it's soon. Let's say within two weeks, three weeks. If you're the Ravens, what is the risk of not giving him a offer? The risk is he leaves and you have no backup plan and you have to be in the quarterback carousel game. That's the only risk. Is it possible that Lamar Jackson has said he wants more guaranteed than Deshaun Watson? Very possible. If that's the case, then there will be no deal before September 11th when the Ravens play the Jets. And the reason there will not be a deal is not one NFL owner is going to give a player more money than the Browns gave Deshaun Watson. Not one. I don't care who the player is. And frankly, Lamar Jackson may be the player who's better than Watson, but they will not give him more than Watson. If Lamar Jackson believes in his mind that he deserves that, that gulf will not be bridged and he will go into the season, play it out, and then become a free agent. 
What I think happens here is that Lamar Jackson does get signed because the Ravens will convince him, why take the risk? It's not like Aaron Judge. It's not like baseball. What happens if you have a career-ending injury? What happens if someone tackles your knee? What happens if you get concussed? All you should be focusing on is guaranteeing a certain amount of money. You want us to pretend it's 270 over five? No problem. Get yourself the guarantee higher than Murray, lower than Watson. Sign the damn deal. You are set for life. Your children, your grandchildren, your extended family, life-changing money. You have eliminated the risk. Does that not make sense to you? That's what the Ravens are saying to him. Lamar Jackson is going to see the light. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. And when it does, we revisit it. When it doesn't, we also revisit it. Lamar Jackson will sign before September 11th. He will get more money guaranteed than Kyler Murray and less than Deshaun Watson. Wait to see. Deshaun Watson has something good going on right now. I think there's settlement talks. There's so much being written about Deshaun. When, is, when are they going to rule? Go listen to last week's episodes. We talk about what Peter Harvey's doing, why he's doing what he's doing, what the league is doing, what the rumors are. There's a lot of talk about a full year suspension, a lot of talk about 10 games, 12 games, 9 games, 5 million fee, 10 million fine, everywhere. But one thing that's been consistent is Deshaun Watson saying, hey, I'm sorry that these women got upset, but I didn't do a thing. I've got an aunt and a grandmother, and I respect women, and I would never ask them to touch me in that way. The NFL has been clear, and the fans and sponsors have been clear. You better show some remorse and acknowledge what you did. Deshaun Watson had no interest in that until this weekend. Deshaun Watson said for the first time, I'm truly sorry to all the women that, it should be who, who I've impacted in this situation. There are decisions that I made in my life that put me in this position, and I would definitely like to have them back. That's as close as Deshaun Watson has gotten to an acknowledgement that he did things that were inappropriate. The beginning of the retribution tour the beginning of the apology tour, the acknowledgement tour, all things necessary when there's going to be a settlement that requires you to admit what you did. The reason why there's been no settlement with the NFL and with Watson is both the NFL wanted more games than Watson was willing to agree to, and the NFL said under any scenario, I don't care if it's four games, 10 games, or 20 games, you have got to publicly say that you did this Take responsibility for your actions and give the victims a voice. Stop gaslighting all of your victims. That has been a crucial part of this entire settlement discussion. The entire Watson debacle, all of the back and forth. What has never changed ever is the requirement for him to acknowledge his transgressions. And he never would. The only reason why he would start to do it now is they are getting closer and closer to a settlement. If Peter Harvey and the NFL put one year on Deshaun, did not pay attention, did not allow for him or the union to argue any sort of punishment under a full season, 
then maybe Watson never would have acknowledged. But that's not reality. That's not business. If you have any hope of recovery, if you have any hope of ever getting past this, and he should have done this minute one, he should have settled minute one, and he should have acknowledged and admitted minute one and started to move on, but there is no way that Watson will ever not be defined by this obit moment. For those of you longtime Nothing Personal fans, you know what an obit moment is. That is something that goes on in your life that is going to be part of your obituary. It's an action. It is a statement. It is a accomplishment. It is a failure. It's hard to know obit moments when they're happening, but if you're really evolved and self-aware, you can acknowledge it, figure it out, what to do, have good PR people. This is a obit moment for Watson no matter what. He missed the chance for it to just be a sidelight, a side note. But Deshaun Watson now beginning to acknowledge what he did, apologizing, owning it, that means there's a settlement coming. Okay. I love the corrections. Thank you. Keep the corrections coming in. We make mistakes. We make mistakes. That's how it goes. On nothing personal, we are 45 minutes. We have no prompter. We have no script. We have topics. And I'm talking to a camera and an audience of a hanger, some unfolded sheets, a bunch of game used bats, a picture, Nolan Ryan, extra toilet paper and napkins, and two ring lights and a camera to be named later. But I'm envisioning all of you. I make mistakes. I said that Mariana Rivera in a show last week, that Mar Mariana Rivera after Bob Shepard, the Yankees announcer, still used Bob Shepard's voice to be introduced. Now pitching number 42, Mariano Rivera, number 42. And I thought that was right, because in my head that sounded right. It was Jeter for crying out loud, meatloaf. It was Jeter. Now batting number two, Derek Jeter. Jeter, number two. Jeter kept being introduced by Bob Shepard after Bob Shepard died. Thank you for that correction. Did you watch The Captain? 14, I counted Coca. I've gotten 14 people who have sent me a screenshot of my picture in The Captain, the documentary. How great is that? Made me happy. Nothing personal pick of the day. We went two and one this weekend. I want to review because a few things happened that are of note. Number one on Friday, the Blue Jays and Berrios were supposed to beat the Guardians. They didn't. I don't know what you do with Jose Berrios, right? You signed him to that long-term deal in Toronto after you traded for him. You were so excited and you got outdone by the Twins. You just did. Berrios snookered you. He is not worthy of his deal. And it's not that I'm saying that he can't possibly get back to what he was. But for this year, Berrios is your number five starter at best. We lost that. Saturday, we had McClanahan and the Rays over the Orioles at home. What an interesting series between the Rays and the Orioles. The Rays won that game. We got a win. And then yesterday, Rasmussen, if you were paying attention, the Rays almost threw a perfect game, which would have been 10 years to the day after the perfect game by Felix Hernandez, which was, I think the last perfect game was in 2012 when we had three of them. Everybody was ready with breaking news and 
Then, of course, he gave up a hit in the ninth inning. But the Rays took two of three from the Orioles. If the Orioles fade from now through the end of the season, it does not take away from the noise they've made. We are in mid-August, and they are in a wild card position. This is the Baltimore rebuilding Orioles who sold at the deadline on August 2nd, 13 days ago. It's a great story. And then there was another big series, which was the Cardinals and the Brewers. The Cardinals took two of three. The Cardinals have a one or two game lead over the Brewers. The Brewers are now out of the wild card too. They're behind San Diego. But we had the Cards beating the Brewers on Sunday. Miles Mikolas did recover from his 10 run outing. So we went two and one. We are 84 and 67. You're going to say that my pick of the day bothers you, but here it is. Sorry, people in San Diego. I'm taking the Marlins over the Padres. The Marlins stink. I take no pleasure in saying it. The Marlins are historically bad. They've gone 15 games in a row without scoring four runs. That hasn't happened in like 40 years. If they do it for four more games, they'll set a major league record for most games in a row not scoring four or more runs. The Marlins have great pitching, zero offense. They wasted money on Garcia and Soler. Horribly run just ridiculous. However, they have the Cy Young winning pitcher, Sandy Alcantara. If you have not watched him pitch, watch him pitch immediately and watch him tonight. The Padres are coming to town. Joe Musgrove is pitching, the new $100 million man. The Padres came from Washington. They shut out the Nationals yesterday. The Padres are trying to recover from this Tatis news. And the way players recover is they just play the next day. Tatis isn't even talked about in the clubhouse anymore. They've moved past him. Totally moved past him, trust me. But I'm still taking the Marlins over the Padres. But please watch that game. What are you doing over Christmas? Do you have your plans already? What do you associate Christmas with? Do you associate, do you watch Home Alone? Do you watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Do you have like a family thing that you do? Do you associate it with the NFL? Do you wait to see what the Christmas day games are in the NBA? Do you know that you have to decide with your spouse, you're going to this family or that family, you're gonna to try to take a vacation, you're not gonna take a vacation, you have to work on Christmas, all the different things that are going through your head. Do you know what's going through the head of the National Basketball Association and the NFL? <laughs> money. Christmas means money. It's out of hand. The NBA announced five NBA games on Christmas Day. The NFL announced three Christmas Day games. That's eight games. That's eight crews. There are thousands of people who are not going to be able to have Christmas because the NBA and the NFL want to grab as much money as they can because the networks want to show you sitting at home and eating dumplings and cake and gingerbread men. They want you to be on your couch for as long as possible and as slovenly as possible with as many beers as possible. And they're going to give you programs to watch from morning till night. It's like the Thanksgiving NFL theory. Adam Silver doesn't want the NFL to take away a day that he thought was his day. Who's going to play Christmas Day in the NBA? The NBA started this, but this year the NFL can have games on Christmas because when Christmas falls on a certain day, the NFL can say, oh, that's sort of a day we can play games. 
the joke is the NFL is always going to play games on Christmas, whether it's on a Wednesday or a Friday or a Tuesday. They are going to find a way to make it happen. So what are you going to do? Are you going to watch your Bucks play the Celtics? Are you going to watch your Packers play the Dolphins? Are you upset that your Heat aren't playing at the same time as the Dolphins? Or maybe you want a doubleheader of the Heat and the Dolphins, but you didn't get it, so you feel as though the NBA is not taking care of you. They're not respecting the Heat. Why the hell are the Knicks on? Are you joking? When are you going to learn that the Knicks are the number one market, even more so than LeBron and the Lakers? The Knicks and New York are the number one TV market. Think it's a coincidence the Yankees play the Red Sox every Sunday night? Come on. So the NBA goes as Bucks Celtics, Sixers Knicks, Suns Nuggets, Lakers Mavericks, Grizzlies Warriors. We got every star in the book. And they're going to get crushed by the NFL. Absolutely crushed. Why? Because the NFL crushes the NBA. The NFL crushes MLB. There's only 17 games. And so what Adam Silver is doing is saying, I'm putting all my stars on Christmas Day. I negotiated this in the collective bargaining agreement. The players know that they have to play Christmas Day if it's on the schedule. And if you're a LeBron James or you are Steph Curry or you're John Morant or you're Joel Embiid or you're play on the Knicks or you're Giannis, you know that anytime you can be exploited, you're going to be exploited. It's just something the players talk about this. They know that if they sign with the Royals, Carlos Correa signs with the Twins, he's like, hey, I'm gonna have Sunday nights off. You sign with the Yankees, yeah, I guess I'm gonna be playing a lot of Sunday nights. It's just part of what players enter into their calculus. Of course, the only thing that matters is the overall money. So these players know what they're doing. I'm just frustrated by the lack of care to the workers. And it's not that I'm this big worker guy. You know that, that back in my day, I was far above that and just not caring what the ramifications were. Oh, there's a day game after a night game and you've got to work three days in a row and then we've got to travel, do your job, right? That was the old David. So I understand why the NBA is doing this. But any one of the NFL games, Packers, Dolphins, Broncos, Rams, Bucks, Cardinals, the night game is Kyler Murray and Tom Brady, who will be back from his two-week vacation by then. The funny part about this is that the Bucks cardinals game alone will draw more fans watching than all the NBA games put together. And Adam Silver knows it, and he still doesn't care because TNT and ESPN and NBC and CBS and all the networks have one thing in mind when it comes to scheduling games on holidays. It's called business. This is nothing personal. 